Today, we're joined by three members of the collective, The Many. So the many are here, and we'd love it if you just take a moment, maybe tell us who's with us today. Hey, hey, glad to be here. Hi, everybody. I'm Darren Calhoun. My pronouns are he, him, and I've been with the band for, uh, I want to say about four, four years now five years. I sing with the band, but I'm also kind of, when from the behind the scenes perspective, do a lot with our production and lighting, just kind of creating the spaces that we're in. Um, and then when I have the chance, I speak about racial justice and LGBTQ inclusion in churches. My name is Hannah Rand, pronoun she, her. Uh, I am a singer in the band and I also write uh, the music for most of the songs that we sing. I also play the piano. And so when we do live shows and stuff like that, I'll play the piano and sing. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm Lenora and I'm my pronouns are she, her. And uh, I am the lyricist for the band. So I write the words. I always like to say that I, I am sort of the scribe in terms of writing the words. The words really come out of our life together and our community with each other. And I get the privilege of sort of turning that into lyrics for our songs. In our live events, we are kind of less of a concert and more of a worship experience. It's kind of like performance theater meets liturgy and uh, so as Darren was saying, we create these experiences that are involve good lighting and music and visuals of all kinds and participate, participation and uh, spoken word. And so uh, I do a lot of the writing of those uh, kinds of experiences as well. It's great to have you. And who, who's not here today, just so we can make sure we give a shout out to all to them as well. The Many is sort of a big group. We are The Many. So, I mean, it makes sense. So we recently have these great new members, Christina Sinks, Jonathan Uwendai, and Krista Sankster Monroe. And Gary Rand is also a part of our group, as well as being my father. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a family affair here. So that's great. <laughs> How did The Many start? Like, where did, where's the origins? Where did it come from? Uh, it sounds like you had a musical house. We did. We definitely had a musical house. Uh, the Rand family, we've always been a musical house. I started writing songs uh, at 12 years old and my dad and my mom, Lenore and Gary, wrote a lot of songs when they first met and as they were married. And Lenore, I can probably tell you more about that. I think that my dad worked at LaSalle Street Church in Chicago. We started writing songs for mostly LaSalle because he realized that there wasn't a ton of progressive music that was singing to his theology and singing to our theology as a family. So we started writing these songs and then we were like, we need some people to perform these songs. We sort of just started gathering these amazing people that we knew. Darren, I think, joined us when we were going to the Wild Goose Festival. We just said, do you want to come sing with us? And then he thought we were just like a one-off thing. And then we were like, you're never leaving. That's and how he's never left. He's never left. <laughs> so that's great. You know, and then there's other just people around Chicago. So I think Jonathan uh, now works at LaSalle in the same job that Gary used to have. So we we met him there. And then Krista we met through McCormick and Christina through, she just reached out to us online, actually. So 
uh, there's just a cool group of people that we've sort of just all brought together throughout different places and different times and in this nice little collective we got. Darren, what's your what's your uh, background and how did how did you get into music and, and, and find this group? Yeah, I mean, my I've kind of been, I grew up in a musical family as well. My my mom uh, well performing family. My mom danced and sang and my dad was in a band when he was a kid. But church was just my first thing, just singing in choirs, probably starting around seventh grade and eventually being on praise teams and eventually uh, being a volunteer worship leader in a few churches here in Chicago. And yeah, through a mutual friend, Kenji introduced me to Gary and I thought it was just for that one one event. And I was just also starting uh, to lead worship at Urban Village Church at the time. So I actually experienced a lot of changes right around the time that I joined the band. But what was great was I was going from leading worship in one church to, to a new church. You know, church can really be your community. And so it was so great to have the band as a landing space where it wasn't, okay, just get together and learn these songs. It was us sitting around a table and having lunch. It was us talking about our lives. It was Gary watching my YouTube and, and asking me to sing songs that I've done out just being silly on YouTube. Like, all of this was coming together in a way that really gave me a chance to begin to unfurl my wings because I'd been in more uh, more conservative, more traditional spaces before I joined the band. And this was like, oh, wow, I can really be my whole self here as Black and as queer and as Christian as I want to be. Something that we're very interested in, and I saw it on your website, and I'll use it air quotes here too, but progressive Christianity. Hannah, you were saying that your your dad, when he was writing, you know, he was trying to figure out language for what this faith expression was. And I wonder if we can just have a conversation about what does that mean, progressive Christianity? And how does that come across in your music? And what does that mean for you all as individuals? For me, progressive Christianity, even evangelical, like these are terms that weren't germane or weren't original to the, the space and the faith communities that I grew up in as a guy who's in predominantly Black churches on the South Side of Chicago. But as I started to do more LGBTQ advocacy and getting out into to some of the more mainstream maybe conversations, these were big, important, loaded words. And what I often found was that in more traditional spaces, people were really eager to prove who's in and who's out. And there was a lot of, well, do you believe this? And do you believe that? And and kind of testing and checking what your behavior was. And so for progressives, what I've been seeing is this rallying around kind of the ideas of openness, this ideas of who is included, which is everyone, essentially. These ideas of, yes, we may have believed or understood or interpreted scripture one way at one point, but that that was for then. And there's some other things for us to think about now. Now, I could also problematize this a little bit in that sometimes even progressive values and spaces can be really centered in whiteness, right? It's progressive and new for people who are white, but it may be really old pre-colonial for many people of color. And sorting through all of that can be its own challenge. Thank you for naming all of that. Yes. I think when I when I began writing the lyrics, it really came out of sitting in church on Sunday morning and feeling like the songs we were singing and the words we were saying were not necessarily reflective of my theology and which was more 
open and which was more, I don't talk about God as king, for example. I don't use male language for God. I talk about you know, God loving all of us. And I don't spend a lot of time talking about the blood. So there was all these things that we were saying or being asked to say that didn't fit who I was and that didn't come out of my mouth naturally and didn't come out of my lived experience. And there were all these things going on in the world that nobody was talking about. We live in a world where there's horrible racism right out everywhere (laughs) among us. And we weren't talking about that in our songs. We live in a world in which LGBTQ people are excluded and hurt and on a regular basis. And we weren't talking about that on Sunday mornings. We weren't singing about that, you know, and where refugees are not loved as strangers welcomed in, all that kind of stuff. The Bible tells us to. So I was like, I want to sing songs about that. And I want to sing songs in which I can also be honest. For me, part of what it means to be a progressive is not being afraid to express who you really are. What are your, what's your faith? What are your doubts? You know, what are you, where do you hurt? I think that those kinds of things really prompted me to say, so maybe I need to write these songs, you know, because there are no songs like that that I can find. And Darren said that he, you, you grew up in a more conservative, faith-based uh, experience. Lenora and, and Hannah, did, did you, were you always in a progressive space? Did you make a shift? What did it look like? My dad is a Southern Baptist pastor. <laughs> so yeah, so in the South. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in a pretty conservative environment by the time Hannah came along. You know, we were in pretty progressive spaces, wouldn't you say, Hannah? I know a lot of the people that I know in Christianity right now are always like, talk, like often talk about, even the, a lot of people in the many are like how their young selves had not so great times in the church. It's okay to say trauma. <laughs> and I'm over here like, I had a great time. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm I'm just lucky. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people who don't. And then, you know, at the same time, like that wasn't always the case. I, I grew up in a very progressive church, but then when I went to college, I really struggled to find a place that felt the same. And I, I think in college, I realized for the first time, like, oh, not everybody has progressive affirming churches that they could just go to. I tried six or seven places and I never really found one that really fit. And then Darren, how did you kind of make your shift? Like what was the catalyst? Yeah, mine is a long, complicated story. And, you know, I, I, I can laugh about it, but it is a bit of a, of, a, of a challenging topic. I experienced about eight years of conversion therapy or the attempt to change my sexual orientation uh, so that I could go to heaven and be pleasing to God. And in that time, I, I did the gauntlet. I gave up everything. I quit school. I left friends and family. I fasted uh, multiple days a week. I was in the morning prayer and the nighttime prayer. And all those things had a, a, a two-way effect. And it definitely wasn't what my pastor was looking for. I grew closer to God and got so confident in God's faithfulness and that God was never going to leave me, that there was nothing I could do to, to make God love me more or less. I got that down pat. But I also realized that the church that I was a part of was not going to be able to support the things that God was doing in my life. And I went to another church, a, a very large evangelical church after that, where the art and the creativity was rich and abundant. And 
and I got to grow in that even more. But they still had a nice, but not, you know, it wasn't XK, but it was still this idea that implicitly gay people needed to, to remain celibate for the rest of their lives. And while there are individuals who can have a call to celibacy, the church was not equipping people for celibacy the way they were for marriage and children. There were lots of conferences and, and books and all kinds of resources. But when they what they said to me as somebody that they were even willing to restrict from leadership, they were saying, yeah, you should be celibate and good luck with that. Let us know what books you find. Because this church that had written thousands of books hadn't written a single one about adult singleness, which is technically what it was, right? So all the widows were stuck. All the LGBTQ folks were stuck. Meanwhile, you could go to six different conferences about how to raise your kids. For me, it was just a matter of self-advocacy. It was just how can you, how can I be a whole human who is loved and seen and known and not be penalized for telling the truth? Because many churches wanted me to serve in their, in their congregations as long as I had a don't ask, don't tell policy. Many churches wanted me as a photographer, as an artist, as a dancer, as a creative, kind of stereotypically gay too. But, <laughs> but I couldn't bring, I couldn't bring the things that I even described as a struggle back then. I couldn't bring that to the fore. For me, it was just advocating for myself to be honest and to be loved. Pursuing love actually led me to the many. It led me to progressive and more inclusive churches. And it led me to speak up for those who didn't have the same kind of activist bent and even grassroots organizer training that I had at one of my old toxic churches. You know, it's like all the things I learned in these churches about ministry and 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 how to just the, the nuts and bolts of running a service or the nuts and bolts of how to affect change. All of that came into a moment of, and this is what you'll use in continuing to spread the gospel, continue to spread the good news, just continue to spread love, that all those things, you know, to get real evangelical, all those things work together for good. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. No problem. Tell us about The Many. It's a band collective group. Um, there's multiple members. Are you playing in churches at conferences? Are you, what is kind of like your your mode? All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> Pre-pandemic, we were very much, you needed to come to an experience, as we call them, because the songs and the music don't exist as just nice little ditties unto themselves. They exist in the context of liturgy. And uh, what Lenora and Gary and what the team have been doing for so long is just creating these full thoughtful, intentional experiences that involved everything from how we're seated in the room to uh, what kind of ways people people interact with the liturgies. And then a thing called COVID-19 came along and being together, at least in the ways that we understood before, was no longer accessible. And so it caused us to do a huge pivot and to create what was at first these just online laments. It was like the world is in chaos and change. We do chaos and change well. We do crying out about what's wrong in the world well. And we created our online Lament Together services that would run weekly for more than a year. It opened up the world to us, like a whole new generation of people, including those who attended the, one of the prior Festival of Homiletics gatherings, found out that worship actually could happen online and it could be meaningful and impactful. Something that people find interesting when they hear that we're a band, but we don't do just music concerts. I think that we find it very important to be a sort of a multimedia, have multimedia experiences. So when you go to a gathering from the many, um, not only will you hear music, but you'll also 
be encouraged to sing along with us because once you're there, you're all, we're all becoming the part of the many as well as poetry, like spoken word. Um, we also usually have an activity, which is my favorite part. Maybe like an example would be like passing out ribbon that you might write on. And then we put all of our ribbons together and sort of form a, a collection of that. And we also try to use like metaphors for something that's going on in the world and sort of bring it closer to us. Lenore, I don't know, maybe I, I've always loved our first wild goose when we use the doors. Um, yeah, I wonder tell, if you wanted to describe that. that. That's one always been one of my favorites too. Darren, do you want to describe that? I always want to describe that story. This was my first gathering, and we were out in the uh, Smoky Mountains of, uh, was that North Carolina? And we are having worship at midnight under a tent, or it's probably like 11 p.m. And so I'm like, first of all, I'm a city boy. This is not my cup, um, but I'm going to do it because I really believe in this thing that we're putting together. And we uh, created this gathering about doors. Context, this is the same year that North North Carolina had passed a anti-trans bathroom bill that prohibited people from using the bathroom that you know is with their gender identity. We uh, gathered all kinds of doors and we created an experience where there were doors that were uh, antique doors that we found and collected and those surrounded the room and then we had right in the middle of the not the room but the, in the middle of the tent we had a large door that was a bathroom door. As we continue in the service, we talk about the way doors keep us safe and keep us in, but it also keeps others out. And so it's not that doors are inherently good or bad, but there's just lots of ways that they show up in our in our world. And as we go through the, the gathering, there's opportunities for people to remember how, how for example, immigrants have, are having the doors shut on in their faces in a country that's known for being a home for immigrants, right? We talk about trans women who had been killed that year and how uh, so many doors are being shut on them, even though they're actively being harmed right now. And so as we continue, we sing our songs, uh, we invite people to write prayers and and post names on the door. And remember those who had been lost and who'd been kept out and kicked out. We physically banged on the door, uh, which was also a, an is- interesting moment because like I said, we're under a tent and the door, the big bathroom door is propped up in the middle of the tent. And I had the, the line where I'm banging on the door and the whole tent is shaking <laughs> as I'm banging. I'm like, I think that door was leaning against the center pole of the tent. We yes. thought the tent was going to come down. <laughs> I, I didn't want to bring the bring the house down literally that night. It was this important moment of demanding and kind of like seeking like to, for this door to not keep people out. And what we do at the as the, the evening goes on, eventually we take that door that had been re- representative of keeping people out and, and restriction. And we take that door and lay it across two hobby horses or workbenches. And we then ask people to come and bring these elements. And that door gets covered and becomes the place that we hold communion. And so people get to go from the door being a thing that kept folks away to being, we transform it by our own actions into this thing that gathers people together and that nourishes people and so forth. And so I still get the goosebumps every time I tell that story. I just too, I swear. (laughs) I could feel it. It's so emblematic of why what we're doing isn't just a band. It isn't just a nice concert that you come to. It is very much an embodied and lived experience. I think that 
wild goose might have been the, and that liturgy might have been one of the first big places that we shared all belong here. That was the song that we shared when we, when that door became the table of welcome. We're talking about all the injustice that happens, the, the people that are left out, the people that are hurt, the people that are experiencing trauma every single day in a Christian context. And yet in, the, in that experience, you're, you're expressing your pain, your lament. I'm seeing you bang on the door, but then I'm also seeing you turn that into something of hope and love of what God, and so it's that transformation, right? How do we hold both? How do we hold like, yeah, we've got to be pissed off and we've got to love. And that's what I heard in, in your story right there. Yeah, I think that's so true. Like the Bible is full of Psalms, you know, Psalms of lament and people ripping their clothes and, you know, anger and sorrow. And I think one of the things that we've learned so much from actually delving into that is that, both most of the psalms of lament end with this moment of people saying remembering that god has not left us that god has not abandoned us and all this crap may be going on and we need to yell at god about that and you know god doesn't really just get a free pass and get off the hook for it and then we need to confess our own complicity in it you know in so many of these things and then there is still though that you know love that will not let us go and the love that doesn't let this world go that is the core belief of this group i would say that the love doesn't let us go so we we do come back to that place but we don't avoid the reality either and i think that that has been a struggle you know for so many churches to actually be in that moment and reality and i do think of that what happens is that so many churches have cheap hope and cheap grace and, you know, sort of cheap forgiveness, all that stuff. It's, you know, it's like in word only and barely in word, you know, it's just kind of like, I feel like the ability to actually express our sorrows and express our need for God and our, our frustration with God and all that kind of stuff is allows us to really get in touch with the hope in a much deeper way. Yeah, there's something about just being honest. We kind of wipe away that honesty sometimes in Christian spaces oh, yeah. because it's almost a bad thing to be angry or there is holy anger and that fuels us to do the work and to continue to work for justice and remember that we're still held. So that was that was beautiful. And you know what? You can feel it in All Belong Here. It's such a positive song, but when you're listening to it, it's you're writing this song for a reason, right? You're writing a song because, and you're singing the song because it, that's not always been true for people. And so I wonder if you could just share with us, like, how did the song come to be? Like, what was, what kind of fueled the, the lyrics and the words and the need for it? I think that a lot of the songs come about from, we, before COVID, we had these, like, weekly band meetings where we would just sort of chat about our lives over lunch. While the rest of us were sort of just thinking that we were just chatting, Lenora's in her secretly in her head, like, oh, I'm going to write this song. For this one, I think Darren came in and he, he seemed a little just sort of even upset that there was not any good 
songs for communion. I, I think that Darren, the storyteller, should sh- should share this story. So I, like I've mentioned before, I just started uh, leading worship at Urban Village Church. It's a very, very progressive United Methodist Church. And it also holds this value of being sensitive to the kinds of songs that we sing. So it's my job as the worship leader to like program or, or set up what songs we're going to do for, for communion. And every song I could find was all about blood flowing and spewing and going everywhere. And it's just like, you know, out of context, that sounds real Christian-y. But if you said that to anybody outside of church, you'd be like, what zombie movie are you talking about? Honestly. And I did not want to to lead that where I had the opportunity to choose what I wanted. But I couldn't find what I wanted. And so I was like, hey, we need a communion song. We need a song that works, that's singable, that you can just do parts of it, that that invites people to something to something more than, than this gory reflection on the cross because the the communion table was, was a dinner party. It was about all kinds of people being there. And, you know, it was just, it was just a, at the point at that time, I was just like, it'd be really nice if we had this kind of song. I forgot that, that I was in a band (laughs) (laughs) and I did not realize fully that Lenora would then take that and, and then craft these lyrics and and Hannah and Gary would be working together to, to arrange the song that would be so profound about shifting this narrative from thinking about Jesus in a penal substitutionary way to instead this table of belonging and how everyone is welcome here. But it also didn't like just go to light, little, airy, all are welcome. It was like, yeah, there's scars and there's hardness and there's difficulty. And you're not even, there's not even certainty, but you belong here. The the epilogue to that is not only was the song popular as in well-received by the people who heard it, it was the ways that I, as a again, as an advocate, would go out to LGBTQ Christian spaces and get to lead and to participate in this song with people who've been denied communion, people who were in seminary and not getting ordained because they're they're queer, people who, because of their gender performance, were told that they don't deserve to be at the table, to literally be lifting up the song with them as they are the communion celebrants, as they are passing out the, the bread and the, and the wine or the juice. Again, just this moment of, wow, God, you literally hear us and you, you knit us together and you bring us together. Open your eyes. We've heard the song sung as far as as uh, France at this point, I think, <laughs> and somebody's translated into into Swedish and like Spanish too. Spanish too, right? It is it is something that has been really profoundly useful and just kind of a heart cry for people who sometimes for people who don't even like church anymore, and that's been that's been so encouraging and and uh, uplifting for us. It really is an anthem, an anthem for for radical welcome. I mean. I pass churches all the time that say all are welcome. And then when you go, it's, you know, not necessarily all are welcome. It it just has such beautiful, deep meaning. I think especially for those that have experienced being left out. Thank you. I mean, I think one of the things that was very intentional about the beginning of that song was I didn't want to say all are welcome here. Because I think welcome can just be vapid and meaningless. And, you know, I don't want to be welcome because that's like 
that says it's somebody else's house and somebody else's table that they're letting me come into. You know, I'm a guest there versus all belong here is like, this is my table too. You know, I, I wrote the lyrics, but you know, you have favorite lines. And one of my favorite lines is broken and bleeding is okay. For me, that was about sort of redeeming these images of broken bread and the blood that we've always heard about. And I think, you know, the reason that Jesus's suffering matters is because it shows Jesus suffers with us. Jesus bleeds with us, you know, when we're cut open and wounds everywhere. It's like, you know, we're not alone in that. I think that was so important for me to be able to express that and to say it clearly and to really invite everyone in because it's their table, not because it's mine or anybody else's, you know. As we're kind of coming out of COVID, uh, hopefully, what is, what's next for The Many? The Many is finally back on the road, yes. which we are very excited about. We have been practicing a lot uh, just to get ready for that. So yeah, we'll be at the Festival of Homiletics. We'll, we're having a, a show in uh, Kansas City. And yeah, like we're, we're doing a few conferences. So like uh, an, annual conferences and stuff and some youth conferences. So yeah, we'll be all around the country. And we're still doing online events as well. So uh, we've most recently been working with the BTS Center, uh, an organization that cares a lot about eco um, and climate justice. And so we've been making these events um, centered on eco justice and sort of like our lament togethers that Darren was describing, but these ones are focused especially on the climate change and the climate justice and stuff. So we've been so proud of that work and new yeah. songs have come out of that. There's a fabulous song that's come out of it that we all are excited about called, Is This How the World Ends? <laughs> and uh, it sounds so hopeful, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but of course, it, it ends hopeful. So that's it always good. It does end hopeful, yeah. But yeah, we also, um, we recently have started putting a lot of our videos and music and sheet music and stuff online as well. So if churches need any any sheet music or videos or anything like that, you could find that on our website, shop.themanyarehere.com. Well, thank you so much for your time, Hannah, Darren, Lenora. The work that you're doing in the world is so important, and you're just giving other people permission to claim their own identity and their own belonging, and really just give us a new vision of, of Christianity, of God, of communion, of what church can be. So we're grateful for the work you put into the world. Very thank humble. You. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. 